Good evening, Mendonesia. I'm D- Doug Livingston. Welcome to the Renewable Energy Hour, and welcome back after a month and a half hiatus. Chris Love, guest co-host, how are you doing? I'm pretty good. Thank you. You're, Hello, you, everybody. You were actually sounding a little tired when we were chatting before the show. Are you worn out? Um, Perpetually. Well, you know, <laughs> I'm, I'm still actually out east. I haven't come back. Ah, uh, because some of the weather just oh my take some time with families though it is three hours later here wow so you've been there uh since mid-february um yes sir wow so yeah. you missed you missed our crazy week i had uh oh, yeah. i had to chainsaw through 55 trees to get off our property after our thursday thursday evening snowfall a couple of weeks ago oh wow um it's, yeah, it's, real, real, real winter has returned. Well, we, we, this is more winter than this area is used to, and the trees weren't used to it either. Um, we, we got, uh, according to the local weather data station, 100 times our annual average snowfall in 24 hours. Right. But, which I don't really believe, at least not on my ridge, we get more than the local data station was getting anyhow it's been crazy with rain and wind and i'm absolutely petrified at the amount of uh fire fuel that's going to be down in the forest this summer there are absolutely i mean there's ten thousand trees down you know within several miles of us ladder fuels galore Uh watch out Uh yeah Who's still with the leaves all dried, but still on the branches ready to go. Mm-hmm. Watch out. And anybody who can, get that stuff out of there and process it up for several years of firewood if you can. Yeah, if it's within 300 feet of your place and a radius, it's worth grabbing. Oh, it's, shoot. Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm petrified of the whole forest going to a crown fire. More than 300 feet away. And that, yeah. that can spread even even within the 300 feet, unless I clear cut the 300 feet around the house, which I don't want to do. Well, yeah, of course not. <laughs> well, uh, welcome back. Uh, we had, uh, I had a, uh, we took last uh, show off since I was going to be in Ohio, and and you and Alex aren't uh, set to engineer the studio, and you're far away. Um yeah. But I, I said goodbye to my childhood home with the last clean out and clean up before uh, closing sale walk through and oh, wow. watched my sister shedding tears as they parted. Um, been been there since what nineteen sixty five. The family home. The family home, yeah. And a fairly unique place. Registered Organic Farm in 1967. Pretty pioneering there. Anyhow, this is the Renewable Energy Hour, and I guess firewood is a renewable energy. And organic farms are supposed to be. Yeah, that's true. Uh, We talk about uh, Jeff and Oldham and I, when he was co-hosting with me, we always used to pump the idea that, that conservation is the most renewable energy of all. The kilowatt hour that you never consumed. Yep. Or the, and, you know, the organic, the original concepts of organic are all about 
you know, getting started and then reducing the imports, hopefully, to none. Yeah. Having a renewable cycle working on a farm and that that was part of the original type of organic standards that, you know, USDA organic doesn't include necessarily. Well, one one thing that's been fascinating me lately is uh, one of the main uses of green hydrogen, that is hydrogen produced by renewable electricity electrolyzing water, would be uh, would be in the production of fertilizers, which is currently mostly made from natural gas. Mm. It has large CO2 output in its manufacture. Anyhow. So you're saying that hydrogen electrolyzers could be the hydrogen source for... For making ammonia. For making ammonia without without releasing carbon. Because nitrogen is so plentiful in the atmosphere. Ab- yeah, absolutely. Um, and in all kinds of other compounds. But uh, Right. So sequestering nitrogen out of the atmosphere is the easy part. Right now we're stripping the hydrogens off of methane, CH4 and combining oxygen onto the carbon to make CO2 and letting that go and taking the hydrogen and making making ammonia basically is the primary nitrogen fertilizer. And so I, I can imagine I can imagine fertilizer plants on site at major utility scale solar plants and wind farms. Because uh, one of the cha- one of the challenges with hydrogen is it's not very pipeable or shippable. Yeah, but on site it's fairly easily yeah. handleable. Yeah, so I mean those are definitely just a, you know in case anybody's questioning this. In general, we're talking about utility scale. <laughs> yeah, large large stuff. And you don't. Yeah, this is reminiscent of you know having large safety zones around some of these establishments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, if something goes south, you don't have population center next to it. No, no. It's probably out in the Mojave and the Central Valley, out in farmland. But Some of the big explosions in this country have been at fertilizer plants and refineries. Yep, yep. The uh, primary places. We have the, the mega explosions that Damage for miles around. Hey, you're you're kind of fuzzy, uh, fuzzier than you seem to be before when we talked. Are you holding your? Well, I'm, I'm, oh, I might that, have let the microphone slope a little way. That that's much better. Whatever you just did. Okay. Um. Anyhow, uh, we were we were planning on chatting about a few things uh, and then open up the phone lines. But uh, one of the things I wanted to ask you was as we're coming up to the deadline to get utility interconnection applications in before, uh, what is it, uh, April 13th? I mean, before April 14th? Yeah, it's 13th, 14th, or 15th. I think it might be the 15th. Oh, I I Um, hadn't realized that they were allowing the 15th. Um, Yeah, maybe it is just the 13th, but, you know. Um, Yeah, we definitely had some heightened interest. Um you know, a couple of different people, but you know, again, I'm a small firm, so we don't, we don't advertise mm-hmm. in general. So, um, it's all word of mouth or, you know, pull us off a of PG and E yeah, website 
because we've completed applications before. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's a, you know, it's a big, huge question mark and what people are going to get viably, economically speaking, you know, for their solar investments. After, Um, after the 13th, because the rules are, the rules are changing. Now for systems, (laughs) systems that, uh, produce, you know, a quarter or 50% even of your annual power consumption are still going to be probably pretty reasonable investments, but you're not going to see the 80, 90, 100% offset systems and still be economically sweet. Yeah. It, it really comes down to a difference. If somebody, if somebody is concerned about storage at all, or backup power for various reasons, then the economics change considerably. But it, you know, as far as the solar usage goes, that you actually get the usage out of the system, um, because you know people can then contain that gen- that daily generation and use it, you know, during peak times. But it's it's not gonna going to make it some grand investment with a with some high return unless you know we see some other you know significant incentives mm-hmm. come yeah. down the line yeah we're, um, we're, you know and SGIP is one of them but it's a really complicated incentive for residential users sgip can you describe that program uh the self-generation incentive program um which started as a commercial and industrial program for large businesses and factories and such that, you know, people come in in the morning, maybe they don't run 24 hours a day. So especially they have to turn on their machines and they really want to get everything turned on as soon as possible, get everybody working. So within 15 minutes, they have this massive demand load, which puts a big load on the generation equipment out there because, well, turns out most of these places are getting started between five and eight in the morning. So, you know, the generators have to deal with that. And and then so they get charged for that because maybe they're pulling 100 or 500 kilowatts, you know, in 15 minutes. What, 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 so, I, call, what I call a demand charge. Yep. And that's what they call it, demand charge. And, and so, you know, they started putting in storage systems at, you know, incentivized rates, heavily incentivized so that these battery storage systems would store up that extra solar in the daytime that the factory wasn't using. And instead of exporting it and saturating what was going on in the neighborhood, store it into the battery and then let that out during the peak time. And then that battery would charge back up in the middle of the night at super cheap rates and allow them not to turn the generators down so low, you know, at the large natural gas stations and such and hydro and then in the morning time that battery would be the primary source of their demand load and turn on their whole factory sort with of it. Soft, and, soft start the factory for the grid's sake and that's where they would save money because those demand charges are so can become so extreme that it made the, the even if they without the incentives they learned that most of those places would have saved money yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because the, some of them are so excessive. And yeah, so I, then that eventually made, was made available to residential 
and there's been several funding cycles of that. And supposedly there's not a whole lot left right now, but maybe more of that's coming because of the IRA last year and California's goals. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, I remember uh, I remember seeing small wineries with multiple thousand dollars a month of demand charges just because of, you know, one peak month. Right. With, yeah, the harvest is a really big deal for wineries, it turns mm-hmm. out, and talking with a couple of potential clients and that, you know, they will quite often just bring in a generator that costs them exorbitant amounts of money because if the grid goes down, they can't handle a 12 or 18-hour outage. And and on the, on the small rate structures, the demand charge was based on your highest peak demand in the previous 12 months. And so, and so since they only had one month of this, they were getting dinged for it for the other 11, too. Right. And if they could just offset it that one month, it would make a world of difference in the annual bill. Anyhow. Yeah, so there's some, some key caveats with the program. And that this comes down to residential as well is that, you know, if you get this incentivized storage system, then your system is required to export the entire capacity of the battery system 52 times a year. So that breaks down to, say, 20% Monday through Friday kind of a thing. You do that once a week, then you're meeting your, you know, what's required of you because you've gotten this. Well, it sounds, incentivized battery. Sounds like twice a week. Um, no, it's 52 times a year. Oh, all right. So, all right. All right. Yeah. Once a week. Yeah. Um, and, you know, and that, even though there's equipment qualified for it, you know, it's, it's, it's really tricky to set those systems up to be proper backup systems. So people really do have to know how to operate the systems in order to, you know, switch it over from one mode to the other, depending on what they want to do with it, you know, say the grid goes down, um, you know, you could have a low battery when that happens. So if you know there's going to be a power safety shutoff, you have to be able to adjust that unless you have some higher level microgrid control, you know, set up with the system. Uh, so. Well, uh, the, the big news for the non-super geeks out there is that you will not be getting rewarded nearly as much as you used to for meters for electricity you send back onto the grid. That's the big change in the rules that you're getting, you know, I don't know, a quarter of what you were getting for any excess kilowatt hours you send back on the grid. So it behooves you to use it or lose it, basically, because you won't be compensated very much for what you don't use and send back to the grid. And so I imagine a big bump in in people considering batteries. Do you see that? Uh, yes, and that's I mean that's really become more consistent even before NEM three O became the big deal in the last two years. Because I think what people are starting to recognize in their own lives is that the lost kilowatt hour is the most expensive kilowatt hour, and that the cost of backing that up and the ease of backing it up. Um, you know, start to become bigger, more prevalent questions in people's lives, especially as we start to have these seem to be more frequent weather extremes yeah. that are actually impacting us. Weather extremes, fires, 
power safety shutdowns. Yeah, and that it's it's kind of coming down to resilience, and that's really what kind of the microgrid is starting to to show more and more these big systems that are going in. And I mean, you know, the, the tribes are jumping all over it, building microgrids. They did it up at the casino up in the Humboldt County and the airport microgrid up there. Humboldt County's really ahead of Mendocino County on this pretty big time. Yeah. Um, and, and Santa, you know, Sonoma County as well. And, but, you know, California is the location of the original first 12 incentivized microgrids with all the different utilities. Hey, we, um, could, we got a call coming in. Should we, should we, oops. Sure. Oops. They yeah, just, let's do it. They just hung up. Anyhow, uh, uh, maybe they'll call back. We, we don't mind getting interrupted. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, 895-2448 is the studio line. Somebody was just calling. Call back. Anyhow, uh, you had another topic you wanted to address, and that was, you know, the, the range of quality of equipment out there. I remember once upon a time when there were only, you know, a handful of viable brands, and they were playing quality ones and low-quality ones, and... And now it's not not nearly so clear. Let's hold that topic because now we have multiple people calling in. So let's take a call. Yep. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Oh, hi. Uh, yeah, I uh, wanted to get my well converted to um, solar battery backup. And uh, actually, I talked to you, Doug. Uh, last year about this. I believe, and, uh, yeah, I recognize the voice. You're in, you're in Fort Bragg? Yeah. And, uh, and yeah, Wally, Wally didn't take care of you? Who did? Who's that? Wally? Oh, no, no, that's okay. Listen, I don't want to get into the local neighborhood and who knows who. Um, Wally um, was a wonderful to talk to. He's a good guy. But he, he is. preferred, he didn't want to work with you and him. He wanted me to either work with him or you, and I preferred you, and then I didn't get back to you. But listen, here's what I, I have eight 200-watt solar uh, battery, or um, panels. I have, I bought from Real Good a $1,700, I think it's a Schneider inverter of the caliber that you wanted me to get. I need to find out how I can take advantage of this incentive program you've been talking about. Now, I pay very little taxes because I'm a 100% disabled Vietnam veteran in the special income category. Well, I, I first, first off, the, the, S, the SGIP incentives that Chris was talking about are really hard for the small customer to get, and you have to pretty much front the money for a year before you get reimbursed. So I'm guessing that would write you out. Uh, you could still qualify if you pay any federal taxes on a 30% tax credit for everything you spend on your system. Absolutely. Are there Except any for a generator. Or for batteries? What? Yeah, batteries count as I part of your solar system. Ion, I think lithium-ion batteries is what I want to go with, not the uh, L19s or L16s. Yeah. Re replacing existing batteries is a gray area, according to the tax experts I talk to, but your initial battery purchase that's working in tandem with your solar and your inverter definitely qualifies. Yeah, it has to be solar charged. That's right. the thing that they have clarified. And that if, you what know, they the, really do I, want... 
who do I call that's not from India or Pakistan and talk to about that? You know, I get these phone calls all the time from these sharks, and I just want to talk to a, a, a decent, all-American type person that can steer me in the right direction. I don't mind paying for stuff, but I don't want to get jerked around. Um, Who can I talk to for advice besides you, Doug? Um, uh, let's see. You uh, have you have you talked to uh, Mendocino Solar? Uh, They're a lot. I don't want to work. I do not want to work with them. Okay. Um, well, uh, you you've crossed a lot of people off your list. Um, Feel free, okay. feel, feel free to, okay. to send me an email, but uh, you got to realize that when you call me in the morning and expect to meet me that afternoon, it's probably not going to happen. No, no, that, we don't need to get into that. You know? <laughs> uh, and your rabbits and all that. We don't need to get into any of that stuff. You're a good guy. You help a lot of people. And I am at, in the final, I would say I got... 25 more, uh, no, probably 50 more yards to go, and then I got a solar-powered well. So that's where I'm at. And I would encourage everybody to get their water as independent as possible. Here, here. Knowing what's coming down the pike with the, you know, with the economics in America. It's just uh, a scary well, situation. And I, somebody told me something really interesting about food and farming. Food and farming is tied in with national defense. <clears throat> and a federal expert I met recently said, she said that, and she gave out millions and millions of dollars in grants to farmers for various things. She said that our food supply in America is really important to American security. And she said that when a country loses its ability to feed its people and grow its own food, it gets really vulnerable to revolution and susceptible to being taken over by other countries and it made a lot of sense to me hey you can almost boil that down to a mathematical equation really <laughs> hey robert we got tons of other calls why don't we restart our conversation uh on on my own private uh email or phone line yeah just one quick thing i want to say about fuel load reduction Wood chips can be turned into ethanol. Ethanol can be burned into cars and trucks. Methanol, not ethanol. Ethanol. Methanol. Methanol. Alcohol. Yeah, methanol is a different type of alcohol than ethanol. Methyl alcohol. Methyl alcohol. Yeah, it's a a close cousin of ethanol, but it's not ethanol. And you don't don't want to drink it. Yeah. Oh, no, I don't drink anything. (laughs) Good water and... In uh, smoothie and coffee. All right, Thank you. Robert. We'll we'll talk soon. All right, we've we had, have another caller. Well, we we had the lines full just a minute ago, and now everybody's giving up. Eight nine five two four four eight. Hopefully, we'll get another. And and if not, then uh, what are some of your? Oops, here comes one. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Hey, how are you doing? All right. How about you? Pretty good. What's hey, up? I've got a kind of complex uh, solar situation. I'm trying to get um, solar added to the property here. And uh, I was hoping you could help me think it through and uh, figure out how to get the system to work the way it needs to. Do you have a utility connection? I have a utility connection. Okay. So what's up? So I've got a 200 amp main panel, and I have about 
100 feet away, a uh, food truck on a 70-amp uh, panel. And I need to put solar over, sorry, a 70-amp circuit breaker. I need to put solar over the food truck. So I was going to put a sub-panel in um, by the food truck to tie the solar in and some lights in the food truck plug. Now, the problem is that I need to, I have to be able to keep the food truck um, powered even during a PSPS. All right. And the generator is over by the main panel. So I think there's problems with running solar and generator into the same thing when you're disconnected from the grid. Yeah, you're going to have to add a control circuit for tripping off the solar when, you know, once your transfer switch for the generator kicks in to serve all the loads, um, there has to be a control circuit for that. And most solar inverters, you know, have a multifunction switch of some sort that you're able to program in that inverter to operate a certain way. And it's basically set up so that, you know, if it's on, then the inverter works so that if the power fails and it's off and it doesn't get another signal, then it doesn't turn back on um, rather than, you know, the opposite way around where, you know, it would obviously turn on and over, you know, because the solar will destroy your generator. That's what I've heard. <laughs> so the Absolutely. control circuit, that would, doesn't the take control solar to, to burn a generator up. Well, uh, now, a battery-based inverter usually has a generator input. Well, but he's he's just, he's got a, you know, he wants to put in solar, but I didn't hear that he wanted to do a battery system. Okay, that, that's he's a clarification, caller. generator backup, is that the case? Um, I was assuming that a battery was not worth the money. Okay, and, and, I'm, not- and, and I'm, I'm, probably with you since you already have a generator to back it up um but uh as chris is saying you should be able to get equipment that automatically senses and goes the right direction for you so that well it's not going to be an automatic you will definitely have to put in an analog control relay to signal to that inverter that you are not on grid power Okay. Do not turn on because otherwise the the inverter will just see that there's 240 volts available and turn on and and, and try to and sell power to your generator. Power. Exactly. And now if your load is higher than the solar output, then you've got no worries. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But, but if, if it's the other way around, and now there is one system, the Chilicon Power that Generac bought um, about a year and a half ago that actually does have the control software to run solar with a generator. And you have to be very, very careful about the settings for that. Um, but that's the only system that I know of that runs live with a generator without a battery inverter system. So it modulates the output of the inverter down if the loads are ever less than the solar available? No, it, it, it modulates the solar. It doesn't do anything to the generator. And so, well, no, that's what know, I was saying. Uh, it modulates the inverter down. Right, correct. And, but if your, you know, grid tied voltage is significantly different than your generator voltage, if those aren't adjustable on your generator, you really have to match your generator with what's going on in the grid because otherwise, then your settings in those inverters mean you lose all that production you put out to the grid every day. You know, and it's 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 tricky because your voltage modulates as your load 
increases or decreases, but, whether you're on the grid or on a generator. But you're also saying there's a fairly simple but less elegant solution yeah. in having a relay that is what powered by the generator and well it opens. would be powered by the grid essentially ah and when so the grid goes you, down uh the relay opens and, yeah and it tells that multi-function relay in the inverter that in the inverter system or inverter control system or whatever that system has hooked up to do that to not turn on or to so, turn or to so turn off otherwise otherwise they would see the ac voltage on their output and turn on mm-hmm. and then see that is acceptable under ul conditions and so you know in order to do that code wise on your permit that should very definitively be included in your line diagrams so that the county knows exactly what they're what you're doing they'll understand it mendocino's totally down with these things they get it um, but that that should be included because that's a really critical safety function that makes sure you never blow up your generator or you don't accidentally excite a lineman when you have a real power outage. You don't want to excite the lineman. Either way. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's manslaughter. So, so you know, that's that's just, you know, a critical element. <laughs> so, so, Collar, is any of this making sense? It makes a lot of sense. The question question i have is that'd be what a 20 gauge wire or something going from the circuit breaker box where the generator is to the sub panel where the um the 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 solar is hooked in yeah and i would just you know for i mean it can be that small because we're talking about a you know a coil on a relay kind of a thing um but yeah on the 50 or 100 milliamps so and, yeah, and this the, signal would on be the inverters co- on the inverter side. You know, there's no voltage involved. It's a it's a switch. So that inverter is just looking for continuity on that switch or not. There's no you know. Yeah. It's only the the power to power the relay. So, so you know, and, and, and that's and, and that's not simplicity's sake for simplicity's sake to match code. I would probably just go with some 16 gauge wire because the codes for the smaller wires a little trickier. And just that way, you're matching the fire code to where how that wire actually goes to the to the relay or the inverter. Just you know, we I could talk about that and that th- whole thing for a couple hours. And that 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 signal's coming from the grid, not the generator, right? Correct. Yeah. So he meant he mentioned yeah. coming from the generator feed. No, this is coming from oh. the main panel that's not backed up. Right. Wouldn't yes. Yeah, so, so the inverter only can can only get a signal from the grid side, and can never cross with the generator. That's that's the important part. But no generator control can interfere with that. Wouldn't that if you had the generator running and the power came on and you didn't notice and flipped the switch, wouldn't that turn on your solar panels and connect it to your generator? No, because you sent a signal off from when the grid went down to turn the inverter off. And then when the grid comes yeah, back so, on. Yeah, so there could be a, that makes sense. You know, I haven't actually had to do this in a while. Um, so then there can be a secondary relay that's a normally open 
so that when the generator are normally closed, so when the generator turns on, it triggers that relay to open and have those in a series. So complicating Um, Now the other side of this, now the other side of this is that, and this kind of goes into some of the stuff we've been talking about on this show is quality of equipment and batteries and microgrids and distributed energy resources is that on the other side of that, which, which is where things will end up in the next 10 to 20 years is that most of this equipment will come with very simple interfaces is that we will be able to, you know, add a microgrid control that communicates with the outside world in a very simple and elegant way that's secure so that your system will know the grid is down and it will through a Modbus control, make sure that inverter doesn't turn on unless another operational switch inside the inverter is told to turn on to violate that. And that none of this will have to be done and that it will be a simple interaction between the generator and, and an inverter. And that's, and that's part of where it's, where it's going. That multifunction switch is like the last little analog interface left in today's smart inverters. But but for now, you're going to need at least one, maybe two relays to do what you're talking about. Yeah, that makes sense. Question, another question. The uh, the circuit is underground and getting a, another wire from main circuit panel to the uh, sub-panel or where the, where the inverter will be is Another single possible. single wire? <laughs> digging through digging through the parking lot to add another wire is a uh, best avoided if possible. Is there any wireless way of doing that relay? Probably not. Well, yeah, there is, but gonna have to get approval on it. And and reli- reliability reason. may be questioned. Yeah, so you're going to have to go with existing equipment thirty UL listed for the function. You know, which is which is out there, but I I can't think of you know all the pieces and parts right and, now. And what the cost? I mean, would these be. are the kind of things that like you know we sit down and go through pieces and certifications sometimes for a couple of hours on a new kind of a system or more time even, and then you know, before we put it together for a, for a plant set and, you know, verifying that the advertised purpose is actually real. That makes sense. Um, wow. How long of a parking, it's a hundred foot parking lot. You got to dig through. Uh, the, I've got, well, I've got a conduit that's probably about 80 feet long that has number eight wires in there that I don't think I could fit another couple of 16. Yeah, I was, I, I was hoping for your sake it was a two-inch conduit. So the two- yeah, I should have put a two-inch conduit in there, but and, I didn't. And you should have put an extra conduit in. That's one lesson I learned 20 years ago. Always put an extra conduit or two in there when you got a trench dug. That is the yep. contractor's biggest joke is, you know, we got a hole in the ground. How much crap can we throw in this hole that you might use in the next 50 years? Because conduits, <laughs> empty conduits cheap and digging a trench, especially through a parking lot, is ludicrously expensive. Yeah. Yep. And I'm surprised it's you're only, only on number eight wire on a 70-amp circuit. 
Yeah, that's that sounds nope. like it was built for a pump. Nope, I ran the circuits. I ran the calculations. Maybe it's not a number eight. Maybe it's a number four. It might be a seventy amp panel, but hopefully it's only you know max a forty five or fifty amp breaker. No, no, it's a seventy amp breaker. I've got the gauge wrong. It's yeah, okay, number, it's, number it, four. It, it uh, hopefully it's number four, and I guess buried number six might make it. Chris, do you know that off the top of your head? Um, if all the terminals that you're attaching things to or, and the wire itself are all high temperature, five degrees, then, you know, maybe, yeah. but not you, like you'd be close most, on most number six. Don't, yeah. I mean, most of the standard stuff that most electricians could find today in Mendocino County is not rated for 105 degrees. You know, the, the majority of terminals and panels are actually rated for 60 or 75. Yeah. Well, it's, you can, it's pretty bad, actually. You can find <laughs> you can find some ninety degree stuff, but terminals not seventy five is about yeah. the size you commonly find, and and that affects the ampacity ratings of the circuit. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you got one hundred and five degree wire. Yep. If your terminals are seventy five, then all your calculations better rate based on seventy five on that whole circuit, not just you know in that section. But that that whole circuit has to be cared for properly. So, caller, I'm gathering that you're um, that you're going to be trying to do this yourself. Um, no, I've been talking to a contractor, but that's the busy season and <laughs> trying to get everybody in through Neem too. And so, I'm needing to turn in permits to the city and having a hard time getting a plan oh, really thought out and right, drawn up. So, right. trying to. Get, Keep from pestering the people who are real busy right now. Yeah, well, shoot, contractors. Yeah. Chris, are you volunteering? Um, I mean, I didn't necessarily, but I've just I was just asking <laughs> the city. You know, I mean, city of Ikaya is usually pretty pretty reasonable. Um, but but with Nem two. Um, NEM 2 doesn't even so, apply to the city of Ukiah. Yeah, NEM, NEM, well, city of Ukiah is on NEM 2. Um, but, but they're, they're, they're not, not changing. They're not, yeah, they're not changing the NEM 3 now. That's not what's happening with them. That's a PG&E thing only. So if you're in the city of Ukiah within their limits and on, you know, and paying a bill to the city of Ukiah Electric Company utility, then you're not, you don't have, you don't the have deadline. anything to be worried about. There's no deadline. Or are you outside of town? No, I'm on City of Ukiah, but I do need to get permits. Sure, but you you don't have you don't have that April 14th deadline. Agreed, definitely. Okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, you're you're all good there. Your economics are way 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 better for solar. They're still doing (laughs) net metering. Yeah, they're definitely you know. It's hard to pay. It's hard to pay. It's kilowatt hour. What's that? Do they? They're still doing net metering? I thought they were. I'm, I'm going to have to look that up. I may be out of touch. Yeah, yeah. City of Ukiah is on NEM2, so they have adjusted to, you know, a very light time-of-use rate. They have a peak and an off-peak rate for residential, and that's it. And they're still trading and at the retail rate, right? Yeah, and I think they have, you do get a surcharge if you're a gross user of power residentially, which, you know, would apply to people that are basically growing marijuana inside for a commercial purpose. Um, you know, it would be an exorbitant amount of electricity, essentially, um, to get into that. 
So, they, yeah, their their rates are still very economical for solar, without a doubt. I think eighteen cool. and a half cents. I think is their max rate right now, and that it used to be twelve, and it was that for twenty four years before they changed it. Yeah, got it. Was twelve forever? Yeah, I mean, well, and that was funny. I remember twenty years ago, I would be teaching classes and say, "Hey, you know, municipal." power company in Ukiah will actually pay you retail for your net annual excess. And everybody yeah. says, wow, man, it must be great to do solar there. And I say, nope, hardly anybody does it. Why not? Yeah. Because they're only 12 cents a kilowatt hour and pg and is 22. Yeah, I still have a client. They get a check every every year. Yeah. Well, you can also apply it to your sewer bill or your various other city charges. You can even pay for other utility meters from it. pg e doesn't do that. They made a lot of people really angry with that. Yeah, yeah. On the same property, they have to, but... Is the caller still here? Is there any other... I'm still here, but I I think you've uh, answered all the questions I could think of and answered a few more I hadn't thought of yet. All right. Well, thanks (laughs) for calling. Good questions. Keep us scratching our heads. Thank you so much. All right. Bye-bye. 895-2448. Eight nine five two four four eight. Got no calls at the moment, Chris. You want to talk about some of your favorite quality brands and runaway from brands? Um, well, you know, for solar grid tied and and even for the future of having battery systems or having battery systems now, I would definitely throw out SMA as like a standout kind of like the Cadillac monster truck of inverters. And you're thinking um, they're they're direct grid tie, they're they're PV inverters, or they're or the yeah, Sunny Islands, the battery yeah, the based inverters. Only, just just the solar only. You know, I'm talking about grid tied solar stuff only. Um, you know the the I mean, and part of it is is it's kind of pointing people towards what's you know really happening with the the solar industry and how everything's moving towards what's called a a sun spec standard which is tied in with how the uni- you know the, the utilities need these systems to respond to grid conditions so that we don't have brownouts as we start to saturate the system with solar. Um, and so that these systems can either cut back their production or they can modify their production to put out reactive power and support well, the grid properly. Well, they're they're so already that- doing that, aren't they? Yeah, I don't know that the utility is really controlling a whole lot of it yet. Um, there's, but it, but it is happening. It's you know, and and so as far as the grid purposes, that is a requirement. That's part of you know the, the what is that the SB one? The, um, the inverter has you know, to the have rule, that capability. Yeah. So rule twenty one SA, and soon we're going to go to rule twenty one SB. And those those systems have sun spec controls that are, per, you know, primarily just for the utility if they're only covering that. But systems that are built with a little more depth, they actually are built for true microgrids. And so people can, for very little more, for the cost of what inverters really cost, I mean, we're talking... 
you know, a hundred or two hundred dollars can get systems that are built for the future. So that once we start to see the potential for having, say, battery powered systems in our local area that maybe are, you know, we would react or interact with and outage conditions and be part of the microgrid, your solar feeds into the microgrid and, you know, helps charge batteries that are off site that can then in turn provide you with power later, you know, at other times. But, but this and, is happening over the utilities transmission lines. And in general, they're not kosher with that yet. Well, in these local microgrids, there's going to be communication systems, separate communication systems required. And so well, in, in general, be, in general, they're that not can be a little control box that has a little, you know, cell modem in it. And it communicates with a local cell phone router that's at the main system so that all these systems are on a private network. And that way, you know, then people can also figure out the rate structures internally so that these things all make sense and are fair for what people invest but, into these systems. But pg is not generically allowing transmission on their lines to a neighbor in a microgrid yet. No, no, no. I mean, this is on yeah, the same on one be, parcel, one property with multiple meter drops or something. Yeah, we don't have any right to send a you know a power line communication over PG&E's lines at this point. Maybe when the power's off, there's some gray area there because it's considered an emergency. It's like you know cutting the lock off a neighbor's gate to go through to get out of a you know away from a fire. Maybe, but I I doubt um, it. Yeah, you know yeah, that yeah. considered that level of acceptable egress. Although although they are doing a number of experimental true microgrids that do utilize the utilities transmission lines in a neighborhood that involves you know the fire department and the hospital and <laughs> numerous houses in there. Um, a lot of that stuff is wired through communication systems that then have secondary communication systems that communicate either over wire or wirelessly in the locale in general. That is the primary method, you know, and that usually you have a microgrid controller at each individual system, you know, to interact with the overall system. But That but, is still primarily the case. But when you're talking about microgrid, you're talking about on a single parcel, on a single property, right? Um, no, no. In general, I'm talking about, you know, it could be a whole neighborhood. Um, it could be, you but know, a how, large housing development. It could how, be... How do you do that when you're going over BG&E's lines? Well, sharing the electricity is definitely part of that. You've got to be, you know, behind the switches, behind the transfer switches. And so that that is what's happening where they're setting up these, the microgrids that exist is that there are isolation points that PG&E is setting up. Um, that was, PG&E even did that for the North Coast. They've got that set up because they yeah. have the generators well, in uh, King Salmon area. Yeah, I gather so there were only a handful. North Coast up there. I gathered that there were only a handful of experimental ones of those, and that this wasn't generally allowed yet. Hey, we got another caller. Right. Hey, caller, you're live on the air. Hey, how are you tonight? Hey, listen, I really appreciate your show, but I have a question. This yeah. April date. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I missed the beginning of your show, so I'm not sure what that's about, but I'm assuming that P 
PG&E is going to somehow change the rate on what you get for your electricity if you don't have a permit in by that time. Is that correct? It's not the permit. It's the application, the utility interconnection application with PG&E. You don't have to have a permit yet, but yeah, you, have have it, you have to have it. You have to have a system design. Is, they call it a completed application. With no errors. Where do I do that? On PG&E's website. But you have to have the system okay. well-designed and kosher. Yeah, you've got and to have well a designed line diagram. and. Okay, so oh. what's the hurry on their part? Why not give a whole bunch of people time to build into their either design of their new home or renovation because they don't want do they don't want the old nem2 rules to to hold they want the nem3 yeah they which want to make what? more money now which so is the basically they don't they don't have to compensate you much for your for any power you send back onto the grid you still Not get to even equal no nowhere near equal a quarter of equal yeah, so, and they're increasing. There's a, a new heavy fee for just having solar connected to the grid. That fee would be $500 or $5,000? Oh, no, it's, it's nowhere near 5000 Yeah, what is it, like 35 a month or something like yeah, that? Yeah, something like that. So. Yeah, I mean, there's no, always been an interconnection fee. I don't know if that's changing. It's been 150 there, for quite a few years. There actually, there actually didn't used to be, but uh, but there has been right. for quite some time. So now that we yeah. have minimal time to get this in, how does one go about that? Uh, you go online to PG&E. You look for the solar links. Uh, sometimes you have to pretend to be a contractor to get the right link. If you're a do-it-yourselfer. And so I'm a do-it-yourselfer right now. So if that's the case, how do I present them with this drawing? Uh, you scan it and upload it. They have. They have. And uh, can that drawing? Can that drawing be done by me, or does it have to be done by an electrical? It can doctor? be done by you. In fact, they have a generic one. If your system is simple enough and follows their generic schematic, you don't even have to do a diagram. Okay. Excellent. Um, so there is some flexibility on their part. I wish we'd stop calling them a public utility. They're not, they're not a, public a public utility. utility. They're they're an investor-owned utility. There exactly. we go. That's what I like. They're an IO. They're an IOU. They are not a public benefit nonprofit corporation now. <laughs> uh, that's for true. And I guess my comment is it would seem that all the profits that they've made, that they've given back to the people they need to give them back to, have in fact not prepared them for all the stuff that's going down now. No, no. They, they, they skimped on basic infrastructure and maintenance for 30 years. Yeah. And, yeah, yeah. and they should have been for all this. And, and kept their stock prices pumped up and their investors happy, yep, but yep. not their customers. Yeah, the campfire yeah, would say it have happened even over a longer period of time. That was a 70-year-old-plus hook that yeah. failed. Yeah, that's really a shame. Guys, I love your show. Appreciate it. Thanks. Thanks. Sure enough. Good luck. Bye-bye. Well, we're coming down to the wire. If anybody else wants to wants to give a call, we've got a few more minutes. Otherwise, we're going to soon be uh, putting on some music and letting Jamie Roberts take over to do some radiogram. Um, 
but so you love SMA. I, I've always loved SMA, and and in fact, uh, for a long time, SMA was the only high voltage grid tie inverter available in the early days of grid tie. Uh, and they just got lucky. All the other Japanese and European companies who've been making it for 10 or 15 years said, ah, there's no, there's not going to be any business in America for a long time. But they said, well, there will be sometimes. So they got UL approved right when it happened in California. Let's take this last call. Hello, caller. You're live on the air. Uh, can you hear me okay? Yep, yep. You're loud and clear. Okay, great. Hey, um, I really like the microgrid discussion, and I believe Southern California Edison, if not mistaken, heard recently, uh, was doing a uh, um, a test thing down there. Mm-hmm. And there are num- sure. there are a number of test ones out there. That's what I was referring to. I didn't think it was yeah. generally legal to go over the utilities' transmission lines to a neighbor's. Uh-huh. No, they. You have to have everything engineered properly, and all the transfer switches in the right places to do that. And approval from you, you know, PG&E from the utility. Right. Yeah. So, what, what was it's your question or comment, caller? So, I guess my question is: Are those test ones that they're doing? Are, are they only for like um, new construction? Or are they actually retrofitted uh, areas uh, that are already? Um, it's primarily it's been primarily a retrofit for a lot of it i mean one of the big ones that you know and and i really suggest people go look at this stuff i mean it's part of the california uh energy commission cec um to like borrego springs which is you know north and more east of san diego they're one of these communities that experience huge outages long periods they have one line in and you know in and out of the place and so they're able to keep the hospital and, you know, grocery stores, gas stations, various things online at this point, you know, and they're connecting household systems with the system. So they're trying to, you know, spread that microgrid further and further into the whole community over time. And they're, they're, um, you said, and there are smaller ones up in Humboldt County, right? Yeah, and those weren't part of the original, you know, kind of study systems, you know, because like UC San Diego, Miramar Marine Corps Air Air, um, um, Air Station, um, amongst several others. I don't remember where all the other nine are, um, but up in Humboldt, they did the the air the Arcata International Airport now has a microgrid that doesn't interface with the utility except under certain conditions. Um, and even the, the Miramar system, um, a year, I think it was last summer, maybe the summer before that they were able to export enough energy onto the grid so that they didn't have brownouts in the city. Um, you know, there's a lot of interesting benefits to how these systems work and the and resilience so I have they one offer. More question. Is it ideal that Ukiah... Uh, it has its own power grid. Is, would this be a large? Would this be part of if you're looking for like a turnkey, larger situation to do like a whole city? Would a microgrid for a whole city like Ukiah? Absolutely. It, legally, it would be very easy to Ukiah, for Ukiah to become their own microgrid. Problem, yeah. problem is, is all their power is coming in from somewhere else. <clears throat> yeah, and that Ukiah is really. 
hurting to have enough land space where they could build their own massive generators such as solar um, and that you know that's been part of the discussion for many years now is that if somebody wanted to you know give over say some farmland and do a big elevated array so that plants and animals could still happen underneath and you know maybe find some combined use but Ukiah just doesn't have the land base to actually say, "Hey, we're going to build this right now." And it would want to be. Otherwise, they would have done it. It would want to be right on the edge of town, or they'd have to put in their own transmission yeah. line to bring it in. Well, yeah. we still Which, have the old Masonite site. Um, that's close. That is vacant, mm-hmm. and there's also a lot of holding ponds, I believe, still out there. Um, which means you could actually probably put solar panels over those which would shade the holding ponds which would keep them from having to pump water and keep them at two and a half feet of water during the summertime in order to keep the heavy metals inside of them just a quick idea but anyways um one more quick question like it's got to be really quick we're we're almost out of time are any colleges working with the folks who are building so that we can get some younger generation kids oh. to know how to build and maintain these. Thank you. Sure enough. Yeah, actually, Mendocino College has some programs. There are a lot of colleges that do. Hey, we're we're, uh, we're a minute from the top of the hour, and I want to give uh, Jamie some time to come in and get seated. Um, so thanks, Chris, for joining me. It's good to have you back after a month and a half, and we'll be yeah, back in two weeks. Good night. This has been a production of Mendocino County Public Broadcasting. KZYX, Philo 90.7 FM, KZYZ, Willits and Ukiah 91.5 FM, and Fort Bragg at 88.1 FM. You can find more content like this on our website at kzyx.org, and consider donating by clicking the red donate button in the upper right corner. Thank you for listening.